0: Lord, I thank you that you do guide our steps. And Lord, you know exactly where each one of us are at in our journey with you. You know the issues that are in our soul. You know the things that trouble us, the things that irritate us, the things that defeat us. Lord, and I pray tonight that you will open the eyes of our understanding, that you will help us, Lord, to walk in freedom. Lord, I pray that even though there are many challenges in this journey called life, There are hardships, there are troubles, there are misunderstandings, miscommunication. We can go on and talk about all the difficulties that we experience, but we know that with you, Father, there is victory. We know with you, Father, there are strategies to live a life of freedom and joy and peace. And I pray tonight as we look at one of the most fundamental elements of the Christian life, one of the most essential elements in human relationships, Lord, I pray that you are going to speak to our innermost being, that you're going to address unresolved issues in our soul, and you are going to set us free. Tonight is going to be a night of destiny. Tonight is going to be a defining moment in our lives where you are going to do a supernatural work in our lives. And we thank you for that, Father, in Jesus' name. And God's people said, amen. Okay, we're believing for some exciting things tonight. When I was uh, a young person going to Bible college, and we, my wife, I met my wife in Seattle, uh, we went to a school called Seattle Bible College, and the pastor that founded the church, his name was Roy Johnson, and in the third year of Bible college, what they would have you do, at least at that time, was they'd have you do a research paper, and they would teach you how to research. How I many think that's probably an important thing to learn. You know, a lot of people go to university and never learn how to do that, don't know how to write papers. Well, this course was designed to teach you to do that. And we had a very, I would almost say an eccentric teacher. He was actually a genius. What he would do in his spare time is read encyclopedias. I don't know, too many of us would do that. He was a brilliant individual, and his deal was, in your third year, you had to do two research papers. In your third year, you did one. In your fourth year, you had to do a biblical one. But in your third year, you could pick any topic. You'd have to get approval. He would research it so he could grade it adequately. And so in my third year, I made a decision to write on the life of Roy Johnson, who happened to be the pastor of this church and who had just passed away and had served this church for 30 years. His congregation was twice the size of the one I'm pastoring. They had planted 12 churches in the greater Seattle or some of huge churches, just a phenomenal, dynamic leader. And so, how I learned about him was that they had so many of his sermons recorded and so I'd listen to sermon after sermon, hour after hour, and uh, in his sermons, he was a great storyteller. And he'd begin to tell about, you know, different times in his life and different incidences. And then I interviewed, you know, key people in the church. I spent time with his wife, you know, hearing from her vantage point and various people who knew him. Well, I remember one message that had such an impact in my life. And he shares how he had kind of walked through a very deep, discouraging time in his ministry, in his life, where he was wondering, you know, does God, you know, he was kind of be thinking about, uh, the whole power of God's healing activity on the earth today and part of the reason why is because many times when you pray for people you don't always see things you know and so you know there's a whole challenging theology around healing but then he shares the story and I've never forgotten it. it's so powerful he said years ago in the 1940s <clears throat> he was a Bible school student in Texas I was thinking about 1940s you know that's almost 100 years ago you know isn't it amazing how time flies Anyways, so he's he's um, you know on this crusade, and back in those days. And some of you that are maybe a little bit older, you can ask your grandparents about this. They used to have week-on-end week on revival meetings. People would come. You know, They'd kind of try to stir up the church, get them going, get them excited, have people come from town. You know, People would come to the meetings. You know, They'd pray for people. Sometimes you'd have tent meetings. How many of you have actually seen that on TV movies? You know, you know what I'm talking about? And so this, uh, this fellow named Raymond T. Ritchie, he was the evangelist. And he had an amazing story. At 55 years old, God healed him from his deathbed. You know, it was a very dramatic experience, and God spoke to him and said, "I want you to go out and preach the gospel." And he wasn't necessarily a great preacher, but he would share his story, what God did in his life. How many know? You know, you can argue with people, but you can't argue experience. You know that that was his experience. God had raised him from his deathbed, and you know, it stimulated faith in people's hearts, and many people responded, and many people were healed. He said, on one particular night, he was in this little town in Texas called El Campo, and in El Campo, there was. Uh, you know, they were, you know, they had the service, they did the singing, they had the preaching, and now they were praying for people who were sick. And earlier, they had saw a woman who had been carried in, and they put her in a, in a chair that had a canvas bottom. You know, because she was obviously in a lot of pain, and so they had put her there, some of her friends had put her there. And they were singing the song, and the power of God is just the same today. It doesn't matter what people say, whatever God has promised, He's able to perform, and the power of God is just the same And he said, as Raymond T. Ritchie was walking across the platform and moving forward, he was about 10 feet away from this woman when all of a sudden she looked down and said, my God, I'm healed, jumped up and began to run across the platform area. Now, how many know that that's kind of an electric moment? You know, because here's this person in excruciating pain, you know, can't walk, and then he said she kind of took over the meeting. She began to share her story. She was like so excited. This is almost an Acts 3 experience. You know with the lame man who had never walked. Peter and John walked by. He said silver and gold we don't have, but what we have we give you in the name of Jesus. Rise up and walk. And here was a man who had never walked in his life. How many know, that's pretty impressive. You're 38 years old, you've never walked in your life. Not only do you start walking, you start leaping and jumping, you know. How many think that's pretty amazing? Because you have to understand, folks, when you don't use your muscles they atrophy and you know a lot of people when they have difficulties in their bodies you know they have to actually rework their muscles so they can actually start learning how to walk again I mean that's the way it works these are out and out miracles and so she was running around and she shared this amazing story she said I used to be involved in this local church years and years ago my husband and I were the youth leaders in the church and one night after service, we were driving home and we were in a terrible car accident. And this, you know, fell on a big truck. He hit our vehicle. And my husband was instantaneously killed. My child was paralyzed and crippled. And she said, my back was broken and my legs were shattered. And they said I'd never walk again. She was taken to one of the major hospitals in Texas, in Galveston. And she said, while I was there, she said, you know, nobody from the church, it must have been a distance, but nobody came to see her. And, You know, there was a lot of, you know, anger building up inside of her. How many can understand, here you are serving God and all of a sudden, you know, everything in your life comes to an end and she was angry at God, she was blaming God, she was angry at the gentleman who, you know, basically caused the accident, killed her husband, paralyzed her, paralyzed her child. Lots of anger. And then she felt sorry for herself and nobody cared about her and so she said, I just turned my back on God. I just turned away from the things of God. I had no interest in the things of God. But I became bitter. I became hard. I was incensed against God and His people. She said, I, I had one desire in my heart that I could see the man that killed my husband so I could destroy him. You know, if I could only get to Him and inflict upon Him the same torment and agony that He had brought into my life. And then she said, you know, but some people from the church kept talking to me and befriending me. And she said, finally, they carried me in here tonight. And I was listening when all of a sudden something within me began to break. And she said, while I was sitting there, I said this prayer. Lord Jesus, from my heart, I forgive this man who destroyed my life. And she said, immediately, the moment I said those words sitting there, a power came over my body to such a degree that you see what just happened God touched me and amazingly healed me now I don't know if you understand something but forgiveness is extremely powerful in the human life it actually is one of the most important elements in the Christian life it's the most fundamental element in relationships As a matter of fact, unforgiveness actually blocks God's work of grace in our lives. Now, I need to, you know, make a little caution here. I need to say this. Not all sickness is tied to unforgiveness. Okay? Did everybody hear that? But many sicknesses are tied to unforgiveness. Isn't that interesting? See, we don't understand how the human body really works. I was... Chatting with one of the doctors in our church and I was talking to him years ago and he said, you know, Paul, over 90% of all illness is psychosomatic. And what he meant by that was, it's not that... It's just in our minds, because how many know we actually have the symptoms? We actually are sick. But the problem is that it originates in the way we think and how we process what's happened to our lives. In other words, when we have things like unforgiveness, and when we have you know, sin in our life that's unresolved things going on, It actually, if we don't address them in a healthy way, it begins to impact our physical body. And so what he means by psychosomatic is it's not originating from some sort of, you know, uh, thing within the human body, it's originating from the human emotion, the human elements inside of our soul. It's affecting how our body's reacting to these situations. There is a vital connection between forgiveness and healing. As a matter of fact, I read this to us. It says there in James chapter 5 and verse 16, Therefore, it says, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. How many think that's kind of interesting? Now we link confession with prayer. You know, sometimes in the church here, we just talk about pray. We'll pray for you. We'll pray for you. But reality is, you know, sometimes what we need to do is evaluate, say, Lord, search me. Is there something inside of me that's actually helping facilitate what's happening to me? No, I'm not, we're not going on a witch hunt here. I'm not talking about that. But I am suggesting that we need to evaluate our soul condition. We need to ask at least the question, God, is there something inside of me? So this verse suggests that confession of sin and healing go together. I think we're living in a time of great relational fragmentation. How many think that's true? As a matter of fact, we're really struggling with relationships today. I have such a burden for this area. We're just so broken in this area. And, uh, you know, we, we, we almost have the, you know, what do, what do I call it, the discard, disposable society mentality. You know, we have the disposable plates. We, you know, if your car gets old, you get rid of it. You know, we, we're just disposable people. We just get rid of things. And, and that's what we do at relationships, when somebody hurts me and I don't know how to handle it, I just want to, you know, back away and get, get this thing out of my life, I don't want to have these situations, you know, we have a real difficult time learning how to work through issues, and a lot of people don't have the skills, you know, we have, you know, we, we have a lot of technology, we have a lot of IQ, but we're very low on EQ, what's EQ, Pastor, emotional quotient. We have a very low EQ. We don't know how to relate to one another. We don't have the skill set to actually work through things. And you know, I'm actually watching this, and I see it even more in the millennials today. You know, the younger generation, they're even having more difficulty. You know, we have more things to communicate with. You know, we're texting and all the rest of it. And yet, we have all this miscommunication. We don't know what people mean. We don't understand what they're saying. We get easily offended. We take offense. I'm watching this over and over and over again. We don't seem to have the skills to work through issues. And one of the things that we've lost is this whole concept of forgiveness. We really don't get it. And so tonight, I want to talk about that. So how do I handle personal offense in my life. How many here you can say that at some point in your life someone's hurt you, raise your hand? Is anybody here? Every hand, who's, who doesn't have their hand up? I wanna know who has never hurt, you've never been hurt once in your life. Oh, you gotta put your hand up. Oh, yeah, every hand should be up, right? If, if you are living, if you are breathing, you've been hurt somehow in this life, right? You have emotionally been hurt, you've been misunderstood, you feel, you know, treated poorly in some situation, you know, right? So this, this message is not like, you know, well this applies to somebody else. No, this message applies to all of us. And if you've never had this experience, I hate to tell you, it's gonna happen to you. Because Jesus said in the world you'll have trouble, and this is one of the troubles we'll have. People will do, say, things in our lives that will bring pain into our lives. So how do we usually handle offense when it comes into our lives? You know, we, what, do, what do we normally do? Somebody offends us, what do we do? We usually go find somebody that's gonna be sympathetic to our cause. Isn't that the way it is? We go phone our friend and said, you know, so-and-so said this about me. Really? That's terrible. Isn't that how a lot of people handle it? Come on, isn't that the way we do it? We want someone to side with us. We want someone to be sympathetic to our cause. But let's take a look at how the Bible teaches us how to relate to offense. Let's take it, Matthew chapter 18, verse 15. If your brother sins, now the brother could be sister, okay, it's generic. If somebody sins against you, go and show them their fault be just between the two of you. How many, that's the first thing you do? This person just hurt me, I always go back and I deal with it from that person. That's your first step. Come on, you guys. You don't think that way? That's what the Bible says to do. But we don't, you know, that just does not seem the way we want to do it. We want somebody to be sympathetic to us. And yet the scriptures teach us very clearly that I'm not supposed to drag other people into the situation, that I'm supposed to go to that person, Right? And know what to say. Now, do you know what happens when you—the moment you go to this other person and tell them what this other person did to you—you you are now committing a sin. You've sinned against God. You've sinned against the person who sinned against you, and you now you're sinning against the person who you're telling. Pastor, you're not making me feel good tonight. See, we thought we were doing a lot better in our sinless life. But I'm just pointing out to you, we sin a lot more than we realize. This is not a good thing to do. Because what happens is if we ever get this thing worked out with this person, this other person is still mad and taking on the hurt of this other person. And so all of a sudden, you ever have this happen where someone's mad at you? You go, I I didn't do anything to them. No, it may not have been them you did something to. It might have been somebody else, but they were, you know, triangulated, it's called. Fancy term for you went and told someone else, and you shouldn't have done that now this, this, this is the way we normally, and then when we finally confront somebody we're upset with well, this and this kind of you know Derek, you know you, you know we, we, we start with this accusing tone of you did this to me, right? How many know when we come to someone like that what what tends to happen to the person now that's being accused? What do we tend to do if we're, we have someone accusing us? What do we tend to do? Defensive walls shoot straight up, isn't that true? How many know that's just not the way to go to our brother when they've offended us? Now, I'm gonna, I'm gonna give you a little pointer here. You may wanna write this down. This is what you probably could do when you go to them. You say, you know, the other day we had this discussion. This is how I felt through the discussion. In other words, I'm not here to condemn them or accuse them. I'm just telling them how I felt about it. Do you know most of the time, People don't even know you offended them. How many of you are, you know, somebody says, well, you did this to me, and you're going, really, I'm so sorry, I had no intention of offending you. How many can say that you don't really walk around trying to offend people all day long, that's not your main goal in life. And yet, it's so easy to offend people, right? So I think we gotta come with a little softer approach to people and say, hey, I was, and you know, sometimes we're the ones with the issue. It's not even that person, maybe we're overly sensitive. You know, true? It can be, or we've had some, so many negative experiences that we're wounded and so somebody, you know, hey listen, you know, if I touch you, Mark, I pr- it probably doesn't hurt you, but you know, if he's got a wound over here and I touch it right there, he's gonna, hey, that hurts. You see, if you've been wounded a lot and someone touches that area of your life, you are gonna be wounded far quicker. How many go, that's true? And so sometimes we react out of our woundedness to people and, and the person that's touching that wounded area doesn't even realize they're causing offense. So I want to point out to you, maybe what we should do is look at the scriptures to find the guidelines, how we should handle these kind of relationships. Now, let's say you go to someone and, you know, they've really wounded you and you say something and you share your heart with them and they say, get over it, bucko. Right? Yeah, buck up, you know, toughen up, you know, you know. Or maybe it's a pretty serious thing. Maybe somebody, you know, has cheated you out of some big amount of money and they were a brother in the church or a sister in the church and they took advantage of you and you went to them and they just said, you know, what, it's tough luck. That's just the way business works. That, you know, that does happen. You don't think that's happened? Hey, listen, I've been around for a long time as a pastor. You know what it says here? If he listens to you, you have won your brother over. But if he will not listen, take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. You know, if you can't resolve it, then you bring in someone, not to go, you know, pour your little soul out to them, but you bring them with you to the situation, and you bring a mature person who can help arbitrate and work through the issues. Hello, Bible says to do this. That's powerful steps. How many are going, I'm learning tonight, Pastor. You're giving me relationship level 101. See, the Bible, I, I could use this as a psychology textbook. I could use this as a relationship book. I'm just giving it to you tonight. This is what we should be doing. It says it right here. Let me move on. It's this background that I've just brought out to you that's going to bring us into the parable that I want to talk about because the most Important concept to having healthy relationships is forgiveness. It is impossible in close relationships not to hurt each other. It's just impossible. You know why? Because we're fellow sinners. There's going to be moments when we you know, express selfishness. There's going to be moments when we express indifference. It's just the normal thing. So how do, we, how do we have healthy relationships? You know, we just go out, forget it. You know, I just burn through people. You know, like batteries, we have these cheap batteries in our church, here. we just burn through them, you know? Hey, we're just burning through these batteries, you know? And that's what we do to people a lot of times, just burning through people. And then we can't understand, you know, I don't have a lot of friends. Well, you're just burning through people. Maybe we gotta learn something about relational skills here. Of all the people on the planet, we as followers of Christ, we who have experienced God's forgiveness, need to express forgiveness to others. To be like Jesus means that I have a forgiving spirit. As we look at the parable of this unmerciful servant, we'll discover, as Clyde Snodgrass writes, the message of this parable is badly needed by churches and individuals who live in a society where people insist on standing on their rights and divisions mark our churches, families, and societies. You know, I was chatting with someone the other day, and this is a very complex situation. I I have a lot of fun as a pastor. I don't deal with light problems. I deal with very complex problems with people. And I said to this individual, I said, okay, do you want to be right or do you want to have a relationship? You know, because sometimes we're so concerned about being right, we negate the relationship. Who cares if we're right? Sometimes, you know, it's best to say, so what? You know, I don't have to be right. I'd rather have the relationship because the scriptures teach love covers a multitude of sins. Aren't you glad that God is a lover? Aren't you glad that God does not treat you and I as we deserve? How many are happy about that? That God is a forgiving God? Do you know, if God really treated our planet the way we deserve to be treated, he'd take everybody off the planet. Because we keep messing up. But God is a forgiving, loving God. That is so powerful. We need to understand that. If we're going to be like him, we need to be more forgiving. The teaching of the parable is counterintuitive. In other words, it doesn't go the way we naturally want to respond to things. It goes against our nature, basically, is what he's talking about. It is possibly the most forceful expression of how Christians should live. Christian living rather then insisting on right should be a continual dispensing of mercy and forgiveness, mirroring God's own character and treatment of his people. In other words, you know, you know, when you start showing forgiveness, you are behaving like God would. You're behaving like God. You're revealing the nature of God. You know what, people have a hard time believing in forgiveness because they've never had to be forgiven, or they've never received it. Wow, it's powerful to do this. But I want to look at three aspects of the issue of forgiveness And the first one is simply the effort of forgiveness. How many times do I have to forgive someone? That's a great question. Glad you asked that. It comes up in our story, because Peter talks about it. You know, Peter comes to Jesus in chapter 18, verse 21. He says, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me? In other words, the question I'm raising is, how much is too much? How much, when is enough enough? You know, how many times do I have to forgive someone? And so, Peter, now who's been taught from the rabbis you know, to forgive three times, he decides he's going to be super generous. Do I have to forgive seven times? And Jesus' answer is very interesting. He says, No, Peter. Seven times 70. Here in the text it says, um, I tell you not seven times, but 77 times. But in another uh, gospel it says 70 times seven. You know, is, does that mean that, you know, okay, 451 times. You know, 70 times seven is 490. Up, oh, 478 times. You're getting close. Better pay attention. 489. Hey, listen, you got one more chance. You go over 490, that's the end of it. I don't have to forgive you anymore. I mean, we could play the accountant game, you know. up oh, 491, that's it. I don't need to forgive this. You've just crossed the line. That's the end of it. I've done my part, you know, I don't have to forgive anymore. Is that what Jesus is really teaching us there? Or is he throwing out this amazing number, and he's basically saying, look, you just always need to forgive. I think what he's saying is forgiveness is always the right thing to do. Wow, that's powerful. Now, I want to point out a couple things. Forgiveness is not trust. I have to keep bringing this up, you know, because what happens when somebody's in a physically violent environment Or somebody's a continual cheater and and is unfaithful to their spouse. You know, I always say to somebody, listen, you have to forgive them. But you don't have to trust them. Because you know when trust has been violated, it has to be restored. And you know when people say to you over and over again, I'm so sorry, but then they never change. My attitude is, if you never change, are you really sorry? If you never change, are you really sorry? Or are you just saying the words? You see, we're gonna find out a little bit more about forgiveness here and what it really means. You know what I like about the story? There's a number of things that when Peter makes the statement, he makes. there's certain assumptions that are being made. First of all, the assumption made is that someone would sin against him rather than seeing himself as sinning against another. Isn't that interesting? When I talked about forgiveness tonight, what was the first thing on your mind? You know, you were thinking about the people that hurt you. How many here in this room, you were thinking about how how you hurt others? Yeah, a few of you. But you're the minority. You really are. That's not what first goes into people's minds. Everyone thinks about how people have hurt them rather than they hurt others. Isn't that true? You know, because Peter raises the question, how many times do I have to forgive? In other words, do I need forgiveness? Wow. Wow. And the question should be obvious to all of us. How many in this room, we need forgiveness? How many in this room, you've never hurt anybody in your entire life? You've never done anything bad? You've never said anything wrong? You've never hurt anybody else in your entire life? Raise your hand. Good. No liars in the house. (laughs) We've all sinned. The Bible says we have. And when we sin, it doesn't just affect us, it affects other people, right? It hurts other people, not just ourselves. I get tired of that old lie. The only person I'm hurting is myself. Bonko. That is nutso. Don't go down that track with me. You will hear it from me. That's not true. Early in the chapter, Jesus had been speaking on one of the key characteristics of a disciple. Humility. Obviously, Peter hadn't gotten the message. Second thing that Peter's question reveals is that Peter wanted a guideline or a measuring device as it pertained to the need of forgiveness. Like, how many times do I need to do this thing? You know? And of course, Jesus answers him. We need to always forgive. What did Peter think he would do after the line was crossed? Often we don't think that way, but we often write people out of our lives because we're hurt, right? We shut down. Click. Click it may not be physical but it can be emotional we can stop loving and praying and forgiving we're hurt we're angry and then we just don't feel anything we're just indifferent you know I always know that there's a problem in a marriage when people are indifferent I go that's worse than when they're upset at least when they're mad I know they still like each other when they're indifferent I go that's that's gone too far that's that's you know the opposite of love is not hate it's indifference and we get there by becoming hard-hearted. You know, a number of years ago, and I'm using this by permission. Young, young one of the young families, young wife came to me, said, "Pastor, I don't know what to do." I said, "Well, what's going on?" She said, "My mother is a Christian, but her sister's not. And when their parents died, my grandparents died." my aunt who's not a Christian was the executor of the state and cheated my mother out of her share of the estate Is everybody following this how many know it's kinda painful first of all because everybody knows that parents you know want to do good by all of their children and she knew she was being cheated and so now she has a huge problem and so the mother said to the daughter I have forgiven your aunt but I want nothing to do with her now that would have been one thing but then she said the next line and if you have anything to do with her I'll have nothing to do with you. How many go, that's pretty powerful. And then she said, you know, pastor, here's my concern. My aunt's not a Christian. If I don't relate to her, how is she going to know about Jesus? How is she going to know about his love? But if I relate to her, my mother will cut me off. Wow. Don't I have a good job? these are the kind of questions I get asked you guys don't know that stuff but this is I get the good stuff I mean the point is simply this the reason I'm raising this is to ask a question did this mother actually forgive her sister let me read something from the very last verse of chapter 18 this is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from your heart Now, from your heart means from your entire being, your total personality. Okay? See, you and I can say we've forgiven someone, but yet if our actions don't line up with our words, we really haven't forgiven. And the tragedy with unforgiveness is we're still trapped in the past. How many realize that? That, That's where a lot of people are living, by the way, today. They're not living in the present. They're living in the yesterday. Because they're still living with someone else controlling their life because they've been wounded and hurt by this person and they're trapped inside of that house and they can't get out. They've allowed unforgiveness to begin to rule their life. Well, let me move on here. In the writer... To the letter of hebrews i was going to tell you about joe but i don't think i need to tell you this this is the rabbis and where they got their idea of three times but let me just say this forgiveness is not a luxury but rather a necessity for our spiritual health and well-being you may want to write that down this is not option stuff folks this is what we have to do and what i would argue with you is that if you've truly experienced god's forgiveness you will be able to express forgiveness and one of the big issues in my question to you tonight is how much have you experienced God's forgiveness? And how do you really see yourself? Do you see yourself in deep need of God's forgiveness? And have you experienced it? Because the way you treat people is the acid test to the degree that you've actually experienced it. Is this making sense to you? You know, a lot of us think we can say, we say all kinds of stuff, but our actions are actually speaking louder than our words. That's the problem. Listen to what the book of Hebrews says. Make every effort to live in peace with all men and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. Then it says in the very next verse, see to it, no one misses the grace of God. You can actually miss the grace of God. How do you do that? That no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. See, one of Satan's strategies in in his arsenal against you and me is to allow people to hurt us and we don't respond right. And we begin to carry the pain and the hurt and the heartache of the exploitation and abuse that's come into our life. And what happens then is, then it's like a poison in our system and it's called bitterness. And once bitterness is in our system, it's like a plant, it's the root system. And how many know whatever is the root is gonna become the fruit? And what grows out of that it's not just you that are it's not just you and I that are affected by our bitternesses. everybody around us is affected as well it taints everything it taints all of our relationships and we don't even realize it we can only truly forgive and this is the important point by experiencing the power of God's grace in our lives you and I can't forgive you and I think we can until someone wounds us so deeply and then we realize I'm having a problem forgiving Anybody, anybody here have ever, ever had a problem forgiving? I got my hand up, I've had a problem, you know? And I'm gonna tell you in a few moments how I address that problem, we're gonna get to that. Let me move to the second point, is the issue of our need to experience forgiveness. Once we have internalized our need for forgiveness, we truly understand it, we truly feel the impact on, our, on ourselves, the more we'll see the need to give it to others many people have a high view of themselves isn't it true we do have a high view of ourselves let me me tell you what I mean by this the closer I get to God it's like a metaphor you know the Bible uses light and darkness as a metaphor right so darkness is you know the sin side what was concealed I can't see it's the sin nature light is coming into God's presence God is absolute light and so there's nothing concealed in light and the closer I get to God, I'm moving towards the light. And this is going to shock you the more I see myself as a sinner, and the less I sin. This is, this is an irony. Isn't it? Don't you help me think that's really amazing? The closer I get to God, the more I realize I'm a sinner. The more I see myself as a sinner, the more I recognize my tendency and propensity to do the wrong thing. I, I'm no longer making excuses for myself. I know I'm a sinner, and but for the grace of God, I would be sinning. And yet because I'm getting closer to God and I'm seeing myself as I really am, I find that my dependency on God is increasing and I'm drawing from his grace and I'm actually sinning less. But when I turn my back on God and I'm moving away from him and I'm moving into darkness, the better I feel about myself, I don't see myself as a bad person and the more I'm sinning. And if you want to test this out, I'm going to give you a little test. You could do a survey. Go around your neighborhood And say, I'm doing a psychological test of just one question. How do you see yourself? Do you see yourself as a good person or as a bad person? And I'm going to make a guarantee that about 90% of people will say, I'm a pretty good person. That's how people see themselves. Meanwhile, they're cheating on their taxes. They're cheating on their spouses. They're doing all kinds of stupid stuff. They're doing all kinds of sin, but they're a good guy. They're a good girl. Gossiping. They don't see any of those things as being wrong. They don't even see themselves as sinning. They see themselves as a nice person. And if you talk to the average Canadian, that's how they see themselves. We're okay. But the reality is they're blind to their faults. They're in darkness. They cannot see the light of their own soul. And they think they're okay. As a matter of fact, it's interesting. The Apostle Paul said that this gospel is for sinners. Of whom I am chief. In other words, the first step to getting in a right relationship with God is acknowledging that you are in need of God's forgiveness. And if you don't see that, you can't get saved. You have a question? Okay, we're going to pray tonight. Just hang on, hang on. I want I want you to hear this. Keep listening. This is good. God is God is speaking tonight. Listen. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. That's good. Yeah, Karen, you want to just take her and go pray with her right now? It's great. It's good. It's a good thing. Guys, this is good stuff, folks. Yeah. They'll pray with her. Okay. Let me move on. It's interesting in our story. We pick it up here, the parable. In verse 23. Therefore the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. This is a different culture. okay? Debtor's prison. We don't do that today, but they did then. The servant fell on his knees before him. He said, be patient with me, begged, and I will pay back everything. Now, Folks, you need to understand the ridiculous confession this person is making. He owed 10,000 talents. You know, what is that? That's an unimaginable debt. As a matter of fact, in the Greek language, the talent was the highest amount of money you could have, okay? It took 6,000 denarii to make one talent. 10,000 is the highest number in the Greek thing. What, what is this parable teaching you? The debt was an unlimited amount. It was the greatest possible debt. This person could live 10,000 lifetimes and not be able to pay this back. This was a ridiculous statement, I'll pay it back. Nobody, listen, you and I are such great sinners before God, we could never repay our indebtedness before God. We need to get that straight in our mind. I'll never be moral enough to repay the debt. It's too great. But when he fell on his knees and begged, the servant's master took pity on him. He canceled the debt and let him go. Now, let me tell you something. When you cancel a debt, somebody's picking up the cost of that debt. We've got to understand something. You see, because there's a whole concept in our world today of this idea of cheap grace. that doesn't cost anything. Listen. Every sin put a nail into the side, heart, body, The love of Jesus. Think about all the sin. Jesus bore the sin of the entire world. Every rape, every sexual violation and exploitation, every injustice that's ever been done. Jesus bore the weight of that. That's the price he paid. That's the indebtedness that we have towards God as human beings. He forgave. Beautiful story. But it doesn't end there. The next breath we read, but when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servant who owed him a 100 denarii. And what had happened? He grabbed him and began to choke him. <laughs> pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell on his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I will pay you back. Hey, how many, have we heard those words before? This guy had just said the very same thing, but now somebody else is saying the same thing And what do you think we should be able to read in the story? That he would understand forgiveness, wouldn't he? That if he had really experienced it, if he really got it, he would be demonstrating it. But what do we read in the story? But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. And when the other servants saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed, and they went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in, "'You wicked servant!' Uh oh. You know, a lot of us think a lot of things are wicked, but now we have defined for us one of the great wickednesses. Unforgiveness. You wicked servant. Wow. How many here have ever thought of being an unforgiving person as an ultimate wickedness? And yet that's what happens in the story here. We're gonna learn from this powerful parable. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? Now, I want to just stop and say this. A hundred denarii. What's a hundred denarii? Well, let me give it to you in modern equivalency. A hundred denarii. One denarii was the equivalent of an average laborer's day wage. A hundred denarii was a hundred days of wage. Now, how many go? If somebody, you know, had to be paying, you know, they took, to the degree of a third of a person's annual pay that's a significant amount right so what we're learning from the story is that when people sin against us it can be of such a significant nature against us it's not a trite little thing but in light of how much we are indebted towards God it is and if God can forgive our great sin should we not forgive the sin of those that have sinned against us and the question is, if you and I have never experienced God's forgiveness, it's really hard to express forgiveness. It just doesn't happen. We don't do it. Okay? My whole premise today, tonight is simply this. Have you really experienced God's forgiveness? And you can tell if you have by the way you forgive others. Because you see, when Jesus was teaching on the Lord's Prayer, it's very fascinating. What is, he, what is our prayer? Our Father. Our Father. Who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses. That's Luke's gospel. But now I'm in Matthew's gospel. Matthew is the tax collector. So what does he say? Forgive us our debts even as we forgive those that have incurred debt against us those who have trespassed against us. Listen, our forgiveness is conditioned on how we forgive others. How many go, wow. L- let me just, go, let me go back and say this one more time. You and I are being forgiven to the degree that you forgive others. How do you forgive others? Well, I always forgive them conditionally, Pastor. Uh-oh. That's trouble for me. See, when I'm dealing with a problem, i got to sit down and go, okay, I, I, am, I, I need God's unconditional forgiveness. So that means I have to forgive this person rather I want to or not. Even though I may not want to, maybe I don't feel like it, maybe I feel emotionally damaged, maybe I feel incapable of doing it, so then I have to kind of think about it and say to myself, okay, how am I going to do this? I've had experiences in my life where I've had a real difficult time forgiving somebody. Anybody else relate to that? And so here's how I did it. Anybody interested? Okay, here here it goes. God, I know that you can forgive that rascal. How many know God can forgive the person that just sinned against you? How many know that? That's true. We know that's true. Then I say, okay, God, if you're living inside of me, you're going to better start forgiving through me. Is this making sense to you? God I cannot do it apart from your help I am incapable of forgiving this person Apart from your grace Would you please give me the grace To forgive this person Because I know I need to do it Even though I don't want to You know God will answer that prayer That's an honest prayer That's an authentic prayer That's saying God I can't but I need to Would you help me God says absolutely And God does Powerful You know we have to understand The price of forgiveness you know yeah what is it see in our society as as Clyde Snodgrass points out it wants to cheapen forgiveness in other words why doesn't god just forgive everybody because we have to understand the price of forgiveness see we forget about that side that when when you know what is the wage of sin it's death God has to pay the price. He's paid the price for us. You know, we're always happy when someone pays the price for us. Are we not? But you and I, we should die for our sins. And so should that other person that sinned against us. They should die for their sins. There's a huge price to this thing. That's the part we keep forgetting in this whole forgiveness equation. It's going to cost that king all that money. It's going to cost God the life of his son in order to forgive humanity. This is not cheap grace, folks, like Bonhoeffer talks about. This is an expensive proposition. You know, but rather, this there's a focus on judgment in Jesus' parable that warns that forgiveness brings with a call for reform. If forgiveness does not affect change, it is not experienced. In other words, You know, if you and I really have received God's forgiveness, it will bring about change in our lives. And if there is no change in our lives, we probably haven't experienced forgiveness. Whoa. This is a challenging remark. And I'm saying it on purpose because, folks, I'm really, you know, we cannot just act like, you know, it's business as normal. I do my own thing. And, you know, God's understanding up in heaven. He's the lovey dovey. You know, he's, you know, no big problem. Listen, we have forgotten a lot of stuff in this culture. Just everything goes, everybody does their own thing, you know? Que sera sera. Hey, listen, people are being violated, abused, manipulated, exploited. And it's happening every single day. And it's a big deal. When God looks down from heaven and sees this stuff, he hears the cry of the oppressed, the hungry, the forgotten, the lonely, the bruised, the oppressed. Isn't that true? God is listening to a cry that's ascending before his throne every single day. We just put our hands to our ears. We don't want to hear this. But you know, one of the great problems of forgiveness is receiving it. How many here, you know, you're saying to me, Pastor, I have a hard time forgiving myself. How many, that's, that's where you're at. Okay, listen to me very carefully. This is so important. You need to hear this. A lot of times what we do is we want to, what we, we intrinsically do is we go, I got to punish myself for what I did. We don't think that way, but we're doing that. We want to punish ourselves for doing the wrong thing. But rather than that, if we really believe what God says, we're gonna actually accept what God did. Do you know when you and I don't forgive ourselves, we're really standing up and saying we're greater than God is, number one. Number two, we're diminishing what God did. Because when we think we have to punish ourselves, what we're not accepting is that God already took that punishment. And so we're cheapening what God did on our behalf. And let me paint a picture, and you'll all understand this. We're in the Canadian prairies. You know, there's there's huge wildfires that can happen over grassy areas in the prairies. You know, usually we can get to those things, but they can happen. And especially, you know, times past when there was less people, they used to have great grass fires in the, in the prairies. And they would just come up. And one day there was a story told of a man... Many years ago with his daughter and they were walking through the prairie and in the distance they saw a prairie fire and they knew that they were going to be destroyed by this fire. And so the father knew that there was only one way to escape the fire. That they had to quickly burn a fire right where they were and burn a large patch of grass. And so when the huge prairie fire was now drawing near, he had him and his daughter stand in the middle of the just now recently burnt patch. When the flames approached them, the girl was terrified. But her father assured her the flames can't get to us. We're standing where the fire has already been. So it is when we're forgiven, we're standing where God has already judged. That's the message of the cross. And now we're saved. We can stand assured that we're standing at that place of forgiveness. Let me just move on to the third expression here and I'm going to close real quick. We need to express forgiveness. Though we are told that God forgives us and we walk away receiving that gift, we really haven't experienced it until we're able to pass it on. We have to, to see the true nature. When you read the story, can you say that this guy yeah was forgiven but did he really get it? I don't think so. Though he received forgiveness, he never experienced or internalized it in his own heart. No sooner had he left the gracious king than he had the opportunity to share forgiveness to someone who was in debt to him. Hey, by the way, do we ever get that opportunity to share forgiveness to others? How many have ever had that opportunity to share forgiveness to somebody else? You've had the opportunity. I'm not saying you did it, you had the opportunity, right? The debt that is owed is so little in the story compared to the debt that was given. Do we have any sense of the magnitude of our own sin before God? Some people might Others Most of us don't But I'll just say this You and I could never repay the debt We could never repay the debt You know how I know? Because I keep messing up once in a while Right? Don't tell me you don't mess up I know better So what do we learn from the parable? We cannot express forgiveness until we've experienced it, number one. It's interesting that Paul's appeal to us as believers, I'm going to skip over a few things, is simply found in Ephesians. He says here, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Be imitators of God. Isn't this neat? We can imitate our father. You know what? One of the things that happens with little children. I just had a baby dedication today. I said, you are dedicating yourself to being a living example of Christian life to your children. And if you do it right, your little kids will imitate you. Isn't that true? They'll imitate your behavior. They'll pray. It's so cute when they're praying, you know. And they come up with some beautiful things because they're learning from their parents, Right? Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children, and live a life of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. You know, we're never more like God than when we forgive, we become like him. You know what I say to people? Here's a couple things I I remind people when they talk to me. One, if you're waiting for someone to ask for forgiveness, you're unlike Jesus, He's dying on a cross. He says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Number two, I will forgive that person when they deserve it. i got to ask the question, how many in this room you deserve to be forgiven by God? Nada. Not one. Zero. None of us deserve it. Grace is the gift God gives us, which includes forgiveness, and we don't deserve it is that amazing when you and I forgive somebody we're giving them the gift they don't deserve I give it to them even if they don't ask for it as a matter of fact I made a decision as a pastor I'm gonna be a forgiver and one of the reasons why I think a lot of people don't want to stay in the ministry is after a while you get so much criticism and all the rest of it and misunderstanding that if you don't just live a life of forgiveness you'll quit You'll get so ticked off. I don't know how many pastors are burnt out. They're angry. They're bitter. They're frustrated. They had all these bad things happen to them. I just go, hey, it's it's an opportunity to practice forgiveness, guys. You know what's interesting? Tonight as we close, I'm skipping over a few things. That's okay. You're getting the heart of it. I want us to stand tonight as we close because I want to pray with you. And I want to ask a question right now. Is there anyone in your life that you need to forgive is there anyone in your life you need to forgive if somebody comes to your mind hold that person in your mind you know I remember a number of years ago I went to a pastor's conference you know pastors are sneaky guys you know (laughs) I know because I'm around them and I am one and the Holy Spirit is pretty sneaky too he has a way of getting to us and I remember one time I was at this conference I think I've told the story a few times now but this pastor was preaching on bitterness. And I thought, great, what a great sermon. I'm sure glad it applies to somebody other than me. And you know, that's a lot of times we come to church and we're listening to some, and we go, that was so good, pastor's talking on forgiveness, and we're thinking, this applies to someone other than me. But then he did something sneaky, So I want you to turn to the person right beside you, and the first person that comes to your mind, I want you to pray for them. And you know who the first person that came to my mind was? It was my dad, he's an alcoholic. And as I began to pray right then and there, I am an un- I'm not a highly emotional person. I don't cry very often. Most of you, you've been around me a long time. I don't cry. It's just the way I am. But when I turned around and started praying for my dad, God's spirit fell on me. I began sobbing. I was so bad I sobbed for 30 solid minutes. I burned through two boxes of Kleenex. I was a mess. I had to let go of all that hurt. You know, I thought I'd forgiven him. Boom, it came out. You know, forgiveness is a journey, folks. You know, years later when my dad was dying, I had to sit down and talk to him, and we went through another experience, and I'm crying, he's crying. You know, God was just working through so much junk out of my life. And I want to tell you right now that unforgiveness is like a poison in your system. You know what happened in the parable? The man who didn't forgive, what did the king do to him? Where did he put him? Back in prison. It's actually a picture of what happens to us when we don't forgive people. We end up back in prison. It's a prison within our own soul where we're now held captive by the hurt and the resentment and the anger that we have towards the person who hurt us. And tonight you're going to say, I want to be set free. I want to be led out of the prison house. I want to be released. And just with every head bowed right now, God is speaking to your heart right now. You need, to, you need to forgive. You need to allow that hurt and resentment and pain. You want to be let out of that prison. That's you tonight. Just raise your hand. I'm going to pray with you tonight. Just raise it all the way up. Come on, guys. That's great you know what God's gonna set people free tonight He's gonna set you free how many here you say you know what pastor I need to forgive myself I've struggled with this so much just raise your hand that's you keep them up I'm gonna pray for you I want you to hear this tonight God so loves you he has forgiven you you've confessed you said God forgive me God forgives Who are you to overrule God? Let it go. The greatest gift you can give back is to receive that forgiveness and now begin to live in freedom. Does this make sense? So that you can go out and become the person God designed you to be. But unforgiveness and bitterness and resentment holds you so that you cannot be free to be the person God designed you to be. And I want to pray tonight because I, you know, there's two sermons I want to preach. I'm doing a series, but there's two sermons I want to get out. And this is one of them. I preached this years ago and we didn't get it on tape. I was really frustrated because you don't know how many people see me in my office week in and week out. And it's always the same core issue. It's this forgiveness issue. It's so big. And I just want to tell them, go listen to the sermon. Now I'll be able to. Hopefully they got it this time. Go listen to the sermon. So you can get it. This is the essence of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You are forgiven. And when you receive it and experience it, you can begin to express it. And I want you to know there's so many people wounded and broken and hurting in our world. There's just casualties everywhere. Everywhere I go, I'm running into casualties. Pastor Mark, running into casualties. Isn't this the core issue, Mark? We're just running into it over and over and over again. And a lot of times people are doing terrible things to each other because they've never let go of resentment and bitterness and unforgiveness in their soul. They're not free. And my prayer tonight is that God would set you free. How many say, I want to walk out free? I want to walk out free. I'm going to pray right now. God will set us free. And so, Father, you know the hurts, you know the pain, you know the sorrow, you know the, the, all the things that have been done to us. And Lord, we can camp there and we can allow that stuff to fester in our soul and we can even, you know, become... We can even be the guilty party, and we can't forgive ourselves. And tonight I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would so invade our lives and our hearts that we would be liberated and free because, Lord, tonight we're receiving your forgiveness. We're receiving it right now, Father. We know it's a gift. We know we don't deserve it. We know we'll never earn it. We can never repay it. Lord, we're just receiving it. And I pray tonight as we receive this gift that we will let go of all the bitterness and resentment and unforgiveness in our heart. It doesn't mean that that, that I immediately trust the person. We're not talking about that. What we're talking about is being free from unforgiveness and the pain of it and the sorrow of it and the poison of it and how it defiles us and defines us, and He keeps us in the path. Lord, I pray tonight that prison cells would open, and that we would be free to walk out and begin to live in a new power and a new authority in our lives with the ability to express forgiveness to others. And we thank You for that. In Jesus' name, amen.